0: Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Tima Owis Daily, and we are back to preview this weekend's 2024 season opener in Bahrain, and when I say we, I mean all three of us, as I am joined by none other than Mr. Jesse Billington and Miss Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both?
1: I'm very well, thank you. It's been a relatively busy Tuesday for me, weirdly. Quite a lot to write, get sorted. I've got one podcast that I'm halfway through editing. I'm now recording another one to add to the edit queue. So um, these are going to be coming out in pretty quick fire order um, from my laptop. It's going to be smoking by the end of the week. So um, best of luck to my laptop, really. Howdy, mate.
2: I'm good, thank you. I've probably had a calmer day. I've just had a shower, done my skincare routine. Now I'm in bed because obviously I can't, sit in a chair still because it's too uncomfortable so I'm feeling feeling zen
0: you're as good as you can be one would take yeah. that and it's probably perfect to just kind of be the calm before maybe a storm in rain, but probably not in the rain sort of variety we probably had all of that for this year already and was it formula 2 testing earlier on in the year but we're already getting sidetracked so news we kind of have some we kind of don't And basically, we're going to use this as another reminder that Formula One, along with all the feeder series, will run on Friday and Saturday this weekend and the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So if you're listening to this and have somehow missed that news, there you go. And if you're looking for feeder series content from us specifically, we do have an F2 and F3 season preview out at the moment, and we'll have an F1 Academy season preview out next week sometime And then over the course of the season, we'll be tackling all of the feeder series in a few parts over the year, instead of after every race weekend where they take place, just to make it all a bit more manageable and make them a bit more of an event sort of thing. We'll try and get some guests on for that and just make it a bit more fun, I think. And just so you don't worry, we haven't forgotten about them. We're just going to be tackling them in a different way, which I think after last year's already sizable calendar and this year's bigger calendar, that's going to be good for all three of us. (laughs)
1: yeah really thankful on the grounds of having to edit the entire sort of heaps of content that we end up producing and then sort of also sort of trimming back the feeder series a little bit making it a bit more compact reduced to a, a tasty jus i think is the best way to view our feeder series um, sort of produce this season i think will be better for
0: all of us and so certainly... we'll actually have some data for drivers as well to measure them against and see who's actually making some progress supposed to formula three normally we are like we don't know half of you people. We don't know what to say, really. You just, just we'll have a barometer to measure. I've, I've set there. up
1: a big set of spreadsheets to really start tracking. Um, That's business, what I've really done places. this for. I've just tried yeah. to
0: please that side of you. Yeah. I don't know why I'm feeding this side of you. It's, it seems... That frank, bit it's my ego does feet, not
1: Doesn't need encouragement. Um, Speaking of encouraging things, at least, which is what Lewis Hamilton has described Mercedes' efforts over the winter and through testing. He said they were massively encouraging for the team. And I think that's, that's good when it comes to general fans of F1. We're looking for a bit of a battle at the top of the field this year. And if Ferrari, McLaren and Mercedes have all come into the season with a relatively good car, they're going to really put Red Bull into a corner and give them a bit of a battering, we hope, or at least... Try and force that sort of a uh, battering to happen. So the real question is, will Mercedes be bouncing back this year?
2: Don't you Does think come that's...
0: With that double w- edged sword element to it doesn't it? Mm.
2: Don't you think that's a bit contradictory though? Because he's moving to Ferrari. Obviously, he's not going to say anything bad about Mercedes. But if he had seen something that he liked in the winter period, why would you then leave?
0: Well, this is we're assuming that he did see anything over the winter period, or he just decided, regardless of what was coming, I'm just going to make a change and just be a bit ballsy with it in the same way that it was a ballsy move to move from McLaren to Mercedes way back when. It We're all just assuming he saw something, but we don't actually know anything because no one actually knows anything. We're all just assuming that would make the most sense, which... Fair enough. But from we don't what know.
1: I've heard from sort of the F1 camp and so on, it's not been a case of Lewis wasn't pleased with the car's development. Yes, there was sort of um loggerheads between him and the development teams as to sort of which direction the car ought to be going in. I think there was certainly a discrepancy between members of the team and some of the drivers as to which way the car should be developed and how soon they should have gotten rid of the no pods design. But one of the crucial things that's driven sort of I'm going to use the phrase driven Lewis away from Mercedes was the opportunity and the details involved in his contract renewals, which wouldn't have seen him be able to sort of carry on as quite such a prominent figure with some of his personal plans. He wouldn't have had the mm. opportunity to be an ambassador for Mercedes as much. That was sort of being dialed back in his contract, which is quite interesting. Thing which is curious. Like... Yeah. I'm not entirely sort of taking that one with a pinch of salt because it's Lewis Hamilton. If you're Mercedes, what on earth are you doing that for? But at the same time, Ferrari came knocking and said, and
0: John Elkan and Fred Vasseur okay, sat down and said, think look. think if that's the, that's the easiest way to get hold of a driver is literally, do you want more? It's not about the money. It's not even about the car necessarily. It's like, do you that bonus stuff you want? Yeah, fine. But we don't really mind. You can yeah. happily. That benefits us so much. Why would we not do this? And it's like. Hmm.
1: Mm, and equally yeah. with the, how much Fred is trying to overhaul Ferrari and drag it to be a very modern team, it is still a team that is stuck in the antiquity of essentially of the 80s, 90s bringing Lewis in is going to be a huge benefit to Ferrari. If if Lewis wants to sort of continue with his sort of programs of diversification and bringing in new people from new talented backgrounds that Formula One overlooks because it is full of old straight white guys, Lewis doing that is going to be hugely beneficial to Ferrari. Almost certainly Fred Vasseur and John Elkan at Ferrari will have looked at that and gone, actually, if we're going to revolutionize this team, if we're going to be successful again, we need him to come here and do that and make Ferrari a team for the modern age. It's not going to hurt if he's able to sell a few Ferrari road cars in the meantime. So they, it was more a case of Ferrari were now able to offer Lewis something that Mercedes couldn't. And not a huge amount of it actually related to the development of the car. What Lewis is seeing here is the fact that he's got a final chance to get his ape at Mercedes, give them the ultimate sort of thank you, goodbye in sort of the most well-rounded of sort of finales at this time at a team where he spent more than most drivers have in F1 he spent that with one team alone So, and he made
0: those news from Alpine and it's uh-huh.
2: yes both drivers have admitted the team is on the back foot coming into the new season so do we think that 2024 will see them at least move back to where we saw them in 2022 or do you think it'll be a long year for them?
1: It's going to be a long old year for Alpine. They, it's an uphill climb for them. I think they've got, essentially, sites at this point will probably be set on 2026, doing a bit like what Hass are doing and just sort of putting in as little effort as possible to get through this year, get through next year. I think they were also really anticipating having some Andretti money coming in as sort of an engine purchaser for a little while. And they might have sort of had the wind knocked out of their sails a bit because they haven't got this additional funding they might have anticipated. And now they're working on a reduced budget with an already underdeveloped car. They're just going to have to sort of string that along for another two years until we get to 2026. see where they go from there they you're really
0: justifying my p10 prediction
1: yeah unfortunately (laughs) i am
2: i guess the first issue is that obviously there's two issues in that they need to get their aerodynamics right but they also are their own engine manufacturer and they need to get that engine right because at the minute i mean that was half of the reason or maybe even three quarters of the reason Ocon was DNFing all the time last year was that engine they need to get on top of that. And I think the third thing as well is they need stability within that team. They've had so many sort of, what's the word?
1: Personnel Um, changes just over the year.
2: Well, yeah. And they've just had so many like revamps or reinventions of themselves. And it's like, they just need that stability and you sort of hope with maybe all that money sort of coming in from sort of like Ryan Reynolds and all of that, hopefully that can help boost them in some way.
1: They they definitely need the stability and it hasn't been a brilliantly stable team since Cyril Abitabou left after the Daniel Ricciardo era. And Which you've got to think he's got to be sitting somewhere
0: just cackling
1: smug as anything just sort of going that's yeah, not my problem anymore oh well and yeah it. it, it you hasn't... would have thought after the last podcast you'd not try another accent so soon I will be cutting out the Australian bit from the last uh, episode so people won't know about that so you've ruined that one for me I haven't even got to cutting that point out yet Um, but yeah I think the... Alpine needs a clear year where nothing goes wrong within the team. They can have things go wrong on the circuit. That's bound to happen. It's F1. But they need a year where they're not getting rid of um, sporting directors, technical officers, team principals. They need one clear year to figure out who does what, best in what role, and actually build a team. Because at the moment, they're just sort of guessing every weekend that seems to come along, and it's not paid off for them in the second half of last year. And I really don't think, given how hot the sort of top five teams are going to be going into this year's season, giving Aston Martin a bit of hope there, they're going to stand any chance. Their only hope this year of looking half decent is hoping that Aston Martin aren't and hoping that Williams haven't made the step forward we're anticipating them having done.
2: I would like to go back and look and see how many times they've sort of said, we've got a new five-year plan. And then,
0: oh, then it is at this point. The, the whole hundred race venture yeah. is just like starting now, starting now, starting now. Like that's not how that works.
1: It's like me when I say I'm going to go for a run every morning. I sort of go, "Oh, I'm going to start that tomorrow morning. I'm going to start that tomorrow morning. I'm going to start that tomorrow morning." I never actually start it. I occasionally sort of go for a run, but then I won't go the next day and simply go, "I'll start the pattern oh, the next morning." It's a lot more consequential. Yeah. I kind of ultimately just get a bit tubby and my jeans get tight. For Alpine, this is going to start costing them millions and millions of euros across years. And eventually we could see them just pull out of F1 because it's going to stop being profitable for them. And look at what's happening to Haas. Look at what's happening to the likes of Salba that's had to completely sell out to Audi. There's going to be these huge changes. And all of a sudden we're going to see someone sort of sitting on eBay one evening and suggested purchase, would you like to buy Alpine, the F1 team, for one euro and you're sort of going and if you're you're sat at home and you're Andretti sort of going that's a hell of a lot cheaper than buying an entire team I could just have Alpine for a euro Hmm.
2: which is kind of sad in the fact that they bought out Lotus didn't they
1: they bought out Lotus, which in itself had previously been Renault, which had previously been Tolman, if you go all the way back to sort of the early 80s. Mm. So it's a team that's it's been, been around, around for a while. For 40 years. Hell, this year we're celebrating 40 years since Ayrton Senna joined F1 with Tolman in 84. So it's it's a historic team and it has the ability to do well. But one of the things that I think is hampering it as well is the fact that it's partly run in Vimy, partly run in Endstone. We're seeing RB make this shift this year I was going to say it's the same problem they've been having in they're
0: kind of learning that lesson there that it's like yeah. maybe this wasn't the best approach
1: mm. Yeah, RB are pulling a lot of stuff away from Italy a lot more stuff is being centralised to Milton Keynes so you can have this more consolidated workforce and I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing happen with Alpine in years to come, if it moves entirely French, if it drops its endstone unit, which was just a hangover from its Lotus days, and goes, No, we are the French team. We have two French drivers, we have French personnel with going to france and this is also one of the things that keeps hampering Hass as well as the fact that they go to their little office in the corner of ferrari headquarters in marinello to make their engines and sort of make their gearboxes and then they'll go somewhere up to i think their cambridgeshire base to do some bits there they've got a place in oxfordshire as well they've got some bits being made by has engineering in um, america they've got some bits being made in germany their chassis come from italy as well like has suffers from this too globalized of a concept when you look at the teams that are wholly successful, everything is done in-house. You look at Ferrari, where everything comes from Maranello. You look at Mercedes, everything comes from Brackley. You look at Red Bull, everything comes from Milton Keynes. It's coming from these one places, and you look at the teams that are struggling, and it is the opposite of that. Is the antithesis of that. It's the customer teams, and it is the teams that have a billion bases spread across Europe in different time zones with different teams that don't always speak the same language doing different things. And it frustrates me, because Alpine could be good, but it
0: isn't. On the other hand, though, they might have a good year. You never know. They might do,
1: and all of that will okay. have been for naught. But given the fact that I completely ad-libbed that is actually really impressive.
0: Anyway... I think it's more the folk of a if you're just really annoyed and needed needed an outlet for that at some point, and <sighs> now we can get back to Bahrain, because before you bring your fun fact in about Bahrain, I'm going to test only May's knowledge, because I suspect that you just know far too much anyway, and Ellie you she also knows far too much, but I'm going to test her anyway. One corner at Bahrain is named after an F1 driver. Which corner and who is the driver?
2: I have no idea. Can I have a clue?
0: It's turn one.
2: Why is it named <laughs> after them? Like, I is didn't it get that like part, part of the named... research,
0: but it makes sense.
2: Oh. Because so I was going to say, is it sort of like the Nordschleife of how they named sort of after Shabin Smith, the first turn there, in honour of her, or... I'm going to say like Pedro de la Rosa or someone, because he's got,
0: he still holds. That would be nice, actually. It would make sense in a way if he would get a corner named him, but it yeah. is not.
2: He still holds the record. The fastest I do
0: love This is what I was saying about in our last episode. These are the kind of records that I like to be kept by, by drivers, because it'd be a shame if that gets beaten, because let's face it, his career in F1, there's not much that we can talk about with it, unfortunately, but I like that he's got that to it. Jesse, have you Googled and found out yourself that way, or did you actually know? Well, I think I remember this one,
1: because it was it was announced in he testing. He says dodging the
0: fact if he Googled it or not. <laughs>
1: it, no, it was announced in testing in 2014, wasn't it, after Schumacher's skiing accident when they sort of realised that Schumacher wouldn't be coming back, they said, oh, that's terrible. We're the first race on the season. Let's name a corner after him. That way, at least if we do it, we're the first to it. So it won't seem like we're copying anyone. So yeah, they they called the first turn Schumacher, or it wasn't Schumacher Curve or something, and went, there we are. We're not, we're not copying. We're the trendsetters, and, which is a bit of a sceptical way of looking at it. But yeah, because of course he had his accident in December 2013. So it mm-hmm. was when the season kicked off for 2014. They went... Well,
0: there you
1: anyway, we've called it the Schumacher Turn.
0: Inspired by your fun facts from last year, May, I thought you'd appreciate that. I do. Just nodding her head. nodding ahead. Even,
2: even if it's a bit kind of, I don't know, morbid. It's
1: a I little kind of morbid. But also, none of the commentary ever
0: refers to it as a Schumacher Turn. It's just. Oh, no. Well, no, this is the thing when I learned about it. like, since when? And then I was like, I need to know why. This has not been but there's no reason for it not to have been mentioned, they just don't
1: mention it. So few circuits actually
0: use corner names as well. It's part of the whole idea of accessibility. Well that's why I'm F1. thinking it's the sort of thing where, like Italy you know, that they're a bit silverstone, you know, but then it's like for the ones that have so few with actual names, why do you not like you've got one or two corners to name you already know so much if you're in commentary or a presenter, then why not just have this little bit of extra extra knowledge?
1: Mm. It was like we went to Mugello and all of a sudden we we're like, mm. oh we've got corner names to learn. We we're like, we haven't done that for a long time. We've just been used to calling everything numbers apart from if it's Monza, Silverstone, Spa, Monaco, uh, in Japan, Monaco, Suzuka." Yeah, like they're the only five that really bought L- a little
2: bit of Brazil. Yeah, Brazil's got, little got little corner Deneresses. names.
1: Deneresses. Yeah. 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 It's also got like Curva del Sol, Retro Impostor. Like it's... Brazil's first, well, yeah, um. It's... I think it has has names, but nobody uses them, I want to say. Mm. It's certainly definitely an older track thing. Zandvoort definitely does as well. You've got like Tarzan and everything. Tarzan. Yeah, and I think the rest of it does have names, but Tarzan is the one that springs to mind if you think of the... um, Tarzan. (laughs) Tarzan, yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: But Mm. there's another milestone that we're going to be marking this year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. two decades of the Bahrain Grand Prix are being celebrated, which I don't actually know if there's any major celebrations going on ahead of the Grand Prix or anything to go, look, it's been two decades of us holding Formula 1. But it does mean that the social media feeds of F1, all the teams and everything, the circuit have been flooded with um, photos of drivers from the inaugural Grand Prix in 2004, which means there is some gloriously early noughties clothing on display and some truly terrible haircuts. And I do feel that I'm rightly poised to speak about terrible haircuts as the owner of several. Um, so, yeah, it is fantastic times. There are some great shots of Jensen Button, Fernando Alonso, all in decidedly it was, very 2004. It was the cars. awkward moment
0: where I was like, Christ, is that Nick Heitfeld? And it was.
1: Well, <laughs> I... A decidedly early 2000s looking man,
0: regardless. Yeah, but even so, for that, it was pushing the point home a little bit too much. I'm like, bloody hell.
2: It's also the fact that, like, in 2004, you would have had, like, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc being sort of what, like, six, seven years old.
0: Yuki was maybe two.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then you've got Fernando Alonso racing there. <laughs>
0: yeah, just.
1: Truly mad times. We're gonna have a quick flick through our camera. Oh, there's a brilliant shot of Schumacher in a vest, carrying a oh, yes. Red Bull can in the shiniest sort of knee-length denim shorts you've ever seen. Like truly abysmal fashion. Um,
2: Maybe that's what uh, they should call a
0: to... trend setting. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's what they should do to celebrate. All the drivers have to come oh, into like 2004 retire.
0: Yeah, I don't think Bottas needs uh, much more encouragement.
1: Yeah, there's the Nick Heidfeld look, and it is it is old oh boy, an appearance and a half. Um, it's the phone he's holding as well. Like it's the technology that yeah. really badly dated. Like the fashion sort of comes and goes a bit, but it's the phones they've they've got in their hands on the cameras and everything, or a very baby-faced Mark Webber holding holding a bird of prey. Go and have a look at that one if you if you're listening to this. It is sublime, truly iconic stuff. Or David Corfard, looking again, very young.
2: When he does age very nicely, though. When I had absolutely nothing to do in December because I couldn't do anything, I went down a huge rabbit hole, which I'm now going to go down, or you're going to come down with me. Oh I, dear. Ended up, <laughs> I ended up, for some reason, watching. A really old um episode of like a James Martin cook show. Like and
0: Oh, we're had, going deep, aren't we?
2: He had Mark Weber on there.
0: Well, yeah,
1: because <laughs> James Martin, big car guy, so sort of he's got his links.
2: Yeah, but um I, but it was like around Christmas time, so they basically celebrated Christmas, how Mark Weber would have. And whilst they were sort of like cooking stuff, Mark showed a picture of him, a BMX that he got when he was like eight years old. And then James Martin basically was like, oh, I've got a gift for you. And presented him with sort of a very similar looking BMX. And then you just, whilst you had sort of stuff cooking on the barbecue, you just had Mark Webber proceeding to go around this tiny garden in this tiny little BMX, like doing circles. I was like, I don't know what I've come across here.
1: The show you've come across is... Um, home comforts at Christmas, and this was a taste of Christmas past. Episode four of ten, and it was James Martin takes a trip down memory lane and recreates festive feast inspired by his childhood. He is joined by racing driver Mark Webber, and it was um. This is last... the bit I
0: want to clip for the social media promotion for this episode. Absolutely Not... nothing to do with Bahrain.
1: Right? <laughs> last shown seventeenth of December twenty fifteen, so nearly a decade ago in and of itself. Um, I don't know when it was first shown. I don't know if that was a rerun that last brought it to our screens, but yeah, mm, very
0: interesting indeed. You really had nothing to do, did you?
2: I I couldn't do anything. All I could no, do... but like
0: you have the you had all of let's say Netflix and BBC iPlayer and all the rest of it to your availability, and you went, you know what? I'm gonna watch.
2: I'm gonna watch James Martin <laughs> and Mark Webber. Yeah, I'd got bored of like watching TV and I probably had it on in the background, not really watching it. Or I was probably just either like scrolling through the TV channel and I was like, hang on. I just saw Mark's that Mark name.
1: Yeah, I found a clip here, which is one of the clips from that episode. And it is it opens with James and Mark drinking a beer, and they're about to do Christmas barbecued coconut prawns and chicken tikka. Um it looks like all good fun. No sign of bit. Oh, no, there it is. This is the BMX clip as well. This is available for British listeners. Uh, if you just type in home comforts at Christmas, uh, Christmas barbecued coconut prawns, you can get this brilliant shot of Mark Webber on a BMX in front of... Looks like a Holden of some kind in this little old Polaroid picture. It's beautiful. I'll put a link in the description and you can enjoy it wherever. Um, back to regular... No, so there's
0: not a natural segue to getting the predictions no, I'm from just here, really,
1: is there? Force that link. Uh, we'll move on from Christmas Past to Race's Future and the predictions with... Don't don't give me that look. That that worked. That was passable as a link. Um, poll, predi- poll, yeah, poll position as a prediction. There's too many Ps. We probably didn't bugger it up at the end
0: there.
1: Yeah. Uh, Timo, why don't you start with your prediction for pole position? I want to
0: be slightly bold but a little realistic but at the same time I'm going to be trying to keep in the vein with these predictions of going for what I want to happen rather than what I think is going to happen and that's going to be the whole year. But at the same time Charles Leclerc qualifying wise in rating, does alright. So I think he could get pole position this year.
1: I've Gone down a similar route of thinking the Ferrari's is quick over one lap, so I've gone for Carlos Sainz and Ellie Mae is sort of playing her car. She like wants points again. Yeah, she's she's, <laughs> she's playing this one for domination.
2: Oh, like I do every year. Yeah, Max Verstappen.
1: <laughs> <not laughs> where this one is going? Exactly I... where it's
2: going.
0: Yeah, I, I might
2: be. I might. Com- I might be completely wrong.
1: You, you
0: might know, be. Sean it would be nice.
2: Charles Clem mm. may get his redemption at Bahrain. He he needs it.
0: Uh-huh. You know who will get pole position just despite you and any and everyone else generally. Kevin Magnuson.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially after everyone's predictions. That'll show him. you. Yeah.
0: That'll show you.
1: Especially about everyone's predictions in the episode, which I haven't finished editing and releasing yet. So that's that's a callback to an episode but by to the time back, this I'm comes in, yeah, it'll it be a relevant be. callback. Yeah. Um we'll move on to the podium, which doesn't feature Kevin Magnusson. Um I thought you, about it. We'll start with yours,
0: Lewis Hamilton, P one. Fernando Alonso, P two. I like a good scrap there, and Oscar Piastri, P three. Mm-hmm. Just having a look at the back there, just thinking, do I get involved in this? I ah, mate, this is this is going pretty well from McLaren in Bahrain. I'm going to keep the podium in P three and not not mess about with this.
1: So you say Fernando Alonso, but you've written Fernando Alonso. Am I am I to accept your written Fernando. or your,
0: yep. your? I've written Fernando on mine. No, it says Fenedo. Oh, Fenedo. Oh, oh. Yeah. When the brain corrects it yourself without actually <laughs> spelling. Fenedo. There, there
1: we yeah. go. Ah, oh, you've corrected it. Ellie Mate, your um, correctly spelt predictions for the
0: podiums.
2: I have gone for Max for and win, Lando Norris in second, Lewis Hamilton in third.
0: Very tasty. Lando for P2 is ballsy considering McLaren's Bahrain appearances in this era
2: maybe they need redemption again. like.
0: Oh, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm just curious as to why you decided it was just hope. You decided to employ Ferrari's main strategy. Yourself. If I'm
2: honest, there was absolutely no thought process in any <laughs> of my one, two, and three whatsoever. I sort of...
0: You thought of names and wrote them yeah. down. It was first three drivers to come
1: to your head. Um I sort of put a lot of faith into Ferrari with this one. I've gone for Sainz win, Norris second, Verstappen third. I'm not entirely certain what I'm anticipating happening here, but... Uh, I think we'll you've definitely
0: employed Ferrari's strategy of <laughs> last year, just hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a gamble being employed on this one, so we'll see how it pays out. Um, moving from the podium to fastest laps, Elime will start with your one.
2: Sergio Perez. Because... The man needs all the help he can get this season oh. if he's going to stay in Formula 1, so...
1: yeah, point, you're, you're envisaging him chasing down the top three and setting a faster slack
0: in the process sort of thing. Uh,
2: let's hope so.
0: Mm. We'll see how that Even you don't sound certain when you say it. Well,
2: I'll just...
1: He didn't seem certain about his season when I met him in a Tim Hortons and Milton Keynes the other week, so uh, I've sort of dialed back my Perez optimism based on that one brief encounter in a coffee shop Um, Timo, your fastest lap prediction
0: I'm carrying it over from last year baby I lost science, until he gets fastest (laughs) lap it's going to keep going
1: I actually want this to really work for you this year, because I think it's going to get really interesting when you have to start shuffling
0: your way down the list of
1: picking different different drivers. Because Either that's strong, not going to
0: get points for 24 races in a row, it's still going to be Carlos Sainz, and I'm going to have to say it again next year, and I don't even know what car he's going to be in for that to be possible. At least this one can do it. Uh,
1: my fastest lap prediction is Max Verstappen. I'm going to style it out and move on to wild predictions. Timo, your
0: wild prediction both Red Bulls, not including Minardi, are outside the top ten in the Grand Prix. Ellie may appears to have been inspired by my wild prediction.
2: I had already thought of it.
0: Oh, well, that's right then.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like... Initially, I was just going to say, like, Ferrari, but then I thought, no. No Ferrari powered cars at all were in the top ten, because I'm still a bit bitter about what they've done to Carlos. (laughs) So...
0: And you and you still kind of hate Magnuson.
2: And and Magnuson, yeah.
0: For no apparent reason. Oh, wow. I should I should point out at this juncture that I have increased the size of the word wild here specifically for you, Jesse, because this is not a wild prediction. I'm aware. But I'm going for it. it. No, yeah, no, no, no. You're not it.
2: not, you I'm, not
0: I'm not going for it. It's not
1: going for it, it's not a wild prediction. There will be to
0: be be specific about the names if you're going to do double DNF. That'd be a wild prediction.
1: Well, no, double DNF implies it's going to be one team loses both cars, which means that I've got the
0: Japanese team. To...
1: No, because that always backfires. When we always do that, we always say choose a team and only one of them backfires or something. I'm just going to go there. You're not going to DNF. win this year
0: anyway, so you might as well have a bit of fun with it. So I but might. Well May's already a got, got, a got it wrapped up. There.
1: I might as well have a, a good chance of putting up a fight. like Much like just saying, oh, there's no point in us racing, the staff going to win. I might as well, well there isn't. try. Just it's let too, me try.
2: It's too no. vague.
1: Look, it's too if vague. this one doesn't work, I'll make one that is... No, that's wild. not how that works.
0: Yeah, it is. I'm willing to take all of my points. If for... I
2: had chosen that, you would have said, no, that's too vague. Don't sure. start with double standards.
1: I'm gonna, it's my podcast. <laughs> There'll be a double DNF. No, hour.
0: <laughs> hour.
1: <laughs> There'll be a double DNF and it's fine, it's going to come from Steak Salba. How's that for an answer? Are you happy?
0: It, it's better.
2: Yes, because then it feeds sort of into mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Unless both of totally us are wrong. Then where have you led yourself to? Huh? You've double jinxed them when it doesn't happen. Mm.
0: And then back- I can blame you. Hey, we could all be right, and we could all get points here. So all that—that that is also—and we have a hell sure. of an interesting
1: race. Anyway, before we get very bickery, that is pretty much all we've got time for on this rather compacted um, preview of the Bahrain Grand Prix. We'll be back after the Bahrain Grand Prix with a review of all the action and all the potential chaos that might unfold from it. And then we're back shortly after that with a preview of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We remember, both of those are on Saturdays this year, so uh, be sure to. <laughs> Adjust your calendars appropriately. There'll also be an F1 Academy preview as well, looking ahead to their season, which looks very packed indeed, and I'm about to become the world's biggest Prima Racing fan. Um, In the meantime, if you want any more from any of us, uh, Ellie Mae, where can the people find you?
2: I don't know. I've got the dentist tomorrow, so probably there.
1: You can find Ellie Mae at the dentist. Timo, where can the people find you?
0: Not at the dentist, because I will be... Well, here, actually, which is not a dentist, so that's perfectly fine. But you can find my work pretty much everywhere at the moment. And I would recommend you go and listen to the Andretti VF1 pub chat episode that has come out this week, where we are very angry for very understandable reasons.
1: Very interesting. And in the meantime, if you want more of me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTokers, at Jesse on Cars, And you can find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. Our latest issue will be be on shop shelves when this hits um, YouTube and Spotify. And in it, we have, thinks really hard, a review of sort of the forgotten generation of cars, so everything from sort of the 1930s right the way through to the early 1950s and why they're actually a very good bargain buy at the moment. Um, So yeah, pick that one up, give it a read.
2: Are they forgotten?
1: Sort of, yeah. No no one's really buying them on the market at the moment, so they've sort of had a huge slump in price. So you can get like Citroen traction advance for sort of Tuppence at the moment, which is really quite interesting because they're quite cool cars. Um, anyway, that's by the by. It's not even really F1 related, so uh, we'll bid you adieu and have a very fun Bahrain Grand Prix, which is on a Saturday.